Hey, everybody, and welcome to a special Monday edition of Girl Chat Sports. Today, I'm actually joined with my guest co-host, Spencer the Wiz from Delivering Sports. We've got a great show for you today, a couple of great guests, and I'm going to let Spencer introduce. Also, this show is brought to you by Kristen Riffle of Simply Vegas. She's the real estate's made simple. You can catch her at www.vegasrelocate.com or by phone at 702-497-0703. Perfect. And uh, her license number, I think you said, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> Before we go into it, I know we have to give out the license number. Yeah, I've got it posted on the thing here. I'll get okay. Perfect. Yeah. I, just to, I know she can get in trouble, so we don't want to <laughs> do yeah. anything wrong with that. But, we'll uh, cover all uh, our bases. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me on. No, it's, it's great. Yeah, I am Spencer Ostrowski with Delivering Sports, a.k.a. Spencer the Wiz. You can find me on Twitter at Spencer the Wiz. We have two really special guests on today, uh, Leon Searcy and Mike Brodsky. We're going to be talking about the, his book, Fourth and Dam. Uh, it's a pretty riveting book to find out about the college experience, the NFL experience, all of it, the trials and tribulations, and how easy it is to fall into these kind of, uh, not, not traps, but just how much it takes to actually make it to the NFL. So I'm so excited to bring them on. I have lots of questions from my reading and everything like that. And we'll also go into the, some playoff talk. Urban Myers is coming on. Obviously, he works for uh, in the radio network for the Jaguars. He has so much going on, and it's an honor to meet him. I haven't really had a chance to speak to him just quite yet, so this will be a great experience for the both of us. Wonderful. Let's get them on. Let's see. Here we go. All right. Welcome, Leanna Mike. How are you? Good, Mel. How are you? Spencer, good, good. to see you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I actually wanted to start off just talking about the book between you two of you. So I have a few questions just as I was reading. I kind of wrote some notes down. And I would love to start with this BYU game that was written in the book where essentially the, the bus broke down. Everything that could have gone wrong, they actually had to carry all their stuff. The grass on the field was very long. So, I mean, I know you say you hint at it in the book that it may have been sabotaged, but I'm curious to know whether you two, and especially Leon, if you think they actually did purposely sabotage the game to kind of get the edge over you. Leon, can you hear us? Hello? Hey. Oh, yeah, we can hear you. I'm, can you hear us now? <laughs> uh, barely. Sorry about that. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> no worries. Well, how about we okay, wait I'm for good. him? Oh, okay. Oh, you're good. I I'm sorry. Did you hear my uh, comment uh, or my question? I guess, Mr. Cersei. I'm sorry. No, I missed your question. I'm sorry about that. Oh, no, no worries. Uh, I was just talking about the BYU game that you uh, talked about and how the bus broke down and everything like that. You ended up having to carry all of your gear. The gas was really wrong, which kind of made you guys slow down. I know you hinted at it in the book that it may have been sabotaged, but I'm actually curious to get your live opinion on whether or not you actually do believe, or maybe it was a special circumstances that led to the, the events of those days. Well, you, you know, anytime you lose a game, you're going to think the game was sabotaged. So, I mean... I'm only referencing in that because we went into the season as a preseason number one. We were locked and loaded with talent. And what happened was the day before the game at dinner, you know, some guys got some food poisoning early in the game. Uh, we're on our way to the stadium before the game starts. Our buses break down. Both our buses break down. We had to carry our equipment about a mile and a half to the stadium. When we get to the stadium, uh, they've got the sprinklers on and the grass wasn't cut. So if that's not a sabotage, I don't know what is. <laughs> All right. So, um, but anytime you lose the game, 
Uh, pretty much Ty Detmer won the game, you know, off of us. Uh, he won the Heisman Trophy off of us, to be quite honest with you. I mean, he had an outstanding year. But beating the number one team in the country that we were, preseason number one at that particular time, you know, maybe I've got a little ill feelings towards it because that team, uh, the 1990 team, had an opportunity to win back-to-back championships in Miami because we won the championship in 89. Uh, but um, all those things did happen before the game. Uh, it was just unfortunate that we couldn't stop Ty Debra and we didn't score enough points and they beat us by seven in Provo. Yeah, I see. So I get the, the competitive side of it. You always want to say that it was had nothing to do with the actual game. But no, they, there was a lot of weird circumstances. And certainly there's been some stuff on the Patriots about that happening too. But uh, I just want to talk about a little bit more about your college experience. I mean, you got not, I mean, special treatment maybe for sure. I mean, all you had all these crazy like club experiences and everything like that. And you talk about going to the stadiums and stuff like that. You see the people, you feel the energy. And is it kind of, is it sad to you to see the current college football season and you see, you know, some fans in the stadium, some not, but certainly just the energy around college football and altogether, I would say is completely different. I know after the BYU game, you said your kicker got, had his bike burned down. Is the age of that kind of fan in college football? Well, you know, I've always, I've always been a big proponent of the fans. Uh, just unfortunate this year, but everything that's going on with the COVID and the coronavirus, there's not a lot of fans in the stadiums because I know I, I used to get hyped when I was uh, with the Miami Hurricanes running through that Orange Bowl tunnel with the smoke and everything and the feeding all the fans' energy. And um, same way in the professional leagues, a lot of professional athletes feed off the energy of the fan base. And when you don't have that fan base, essentially, I thought early on that a lot of these games were like practices because they were, mostly they were going against other opponents in like empty stadiums. So definitely you want to have the fan base there. You want the energy. You want to feed off the energy. Uh, but just unfortunate this year that the NFL and the college, collegiate level had to deal with the fact that the, they couldn't have fans in the stands. So I, I, that, that could definitely be a distraction. But if you allow it to be a distraction, it will. But for the most part, I think a lot of these college programs and a lot of these NFL uh, organizations did an outstanding job in getting their teams prepared to play on Saturdays and Sundays. Okay. Wonderful. Hey, so let's just get a background. People are starting to tune in and we're, we're getting, we're here joined with Mike and uh, Leon Searcy. And we want to discuss kind of about the book, the fourth down and dam where, and <laughs> um, I know Leon, it's your autobiography and Mike's co-author here with you on the book. What inspired you or what got in your head that you're like, you know what, I want an autobiography and I want to, I want to hear it. I want to write it out and people to read it. What got you on that, on that start to, to make a book. Well, you got to remember when I, when I wrote the book, I was in a very, very, very dark and lonely place. You know, I had my family members who weren't talking to me. I had my agent who dropped me off. I was going through a divorce, two divorces. You know, I had the IRS on me. I didn't have a lot of friends. And um, at many nights I spent in the motel room, uh, I cried a lot. I cried and, and was trying to figure out how did I get to this place? And I remember I was inspired uh, early in the morning when I got up in the morning and something just told me to tell my story. I, I wanted to tell my story because I wanted my life story to be a proponent for other athletes that go through that. I didn't want other athletes to have to go through what I went through. Uh, you know, you don't have to hit rock bottom to understand that uh, you're in a, you're in a position uh, where you're able to play a sport. You make a lot of money and um, you need to save your money. And you need to prepare yourself like the next game is going to be your last game. And I was that player that didn't believe that. I felt like I was bulletproof, invincible. 
And a lot of these players were, were conditioned that way. You know, anytime you go out on the football field and you're going to be against other guys who are, you know, not they're not trying to take your life, but they, they, it's, it's a physicality in playing sports. And I loved playing football. Um, I just wasn't prepared um, financially um, to uh, – I didn't have the right people around me uh, to, to, to teach me how to invest and put my money away and all that kind of stuff. And that's a, that's a mass majority of the guys. When there's 80% of the guys in the NFL, once they retire, they go bankrupt or they lose all their money. I mean, my story is nothing new. I was just able to write a book about it. A lot of guys don't, aren't able to write a book. And I had to deal with a lot of friends – you know, that once they finished playing football, they were embarrassed about this situation. They were embarrassed that they were living, they were homeless, didn't have money, going through a divorce, uh, child support, and all these other factors. And I just said, you know what, the hell with it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a book. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to try to inspire other athletes, you know, not to go down the road that I went through. And I, I, I get a lot of friends from my past that says, Leon, you had to be very, I don't think of myself courageous, uh, but um, I just think that uh, my story had to be told. And if I could keep one athlete from doing not doing what I did, then I think I've accomplished my job, my goal. Well, and I think in this day and age, like being transparent, not a lot of people are used to because we're in a world now of social media. Back in the day when these were, you know, when you're coming into the league, I don't even think that most of the you know, maybe the organizations or the teams, the NFL teams had people that were there helping these new recruits and the new draftees understand finances and how to deal with those things. I know there are, it's kind of, you know, transpired to be a little bit better these days where they do have people that kind of teach these young guys, you know, what about money if they haven't learned already? And hopefully they do have a, a, a circle around them that's able to help them. Um, but do you think that maybe there's... a and we are in this social media age and a lot of these people are trying to, you know, meet the, you know, keep up with the Joneses as, as you can say. So, I mean, at this point, it's like people are trying to, you know, post all that they've got and show what they're buying and show what they're doing and where they're traveling. So it's important for things like this, Leon, to be able to show those people, you know, hopefully you've got your money managed somewhere as well, while you're able to do these things. But Mike, how did you two get involved in the book together? Sure. Uh, actually, uh, Leon came to World Sports Alumni, and uh, for those who aren't familiar with World Sports Alumni, it's an association of former professional athletes. Uh, certainly recommend folks check out our website, worldsportsalumni.com. But um, uh, with World Sports Alumni, uh, we have a lot of former professional athletes that have come to us, and we, what we're trying to do is to sort of uh, connect them with the business community. You know, there are a lot of businesses around. The, really around the country that are trying to connect with some of these athletes for speaking engagements or personal appearances, uh, whether it's photo and autograph sessions, things like that. Uh, we also put together a whole bunch of different events. Uh, we were actually hoping to do a, a Pro Bowl party out in Vegas, but obviously there was no Pro Bowl this year, so we're going to have to wait another year on that one. Uh, but uh, hopefully that'll be coming soon. And so this book was actually uh, the first book that we put together for World Sports Alumni Publishing. And um, I was basically uh, uh, asked to help Leon with the book. Uh, I actually wasn't the first choice, but uh, the, the folks that, that are, I've, I've been involved with the World Sports Alumni for a few years, and they kind of knew that I had written another book previously. And so they asked me to kind of help uh, kind of get this uh, over the goal line, basically, and kind of finish up the book. Leon had done a great job of putting together just amazing stories 
Uh, it was it was just like a great diary, and he had a lot of great audio recordings that I got to listen to, and uh, basically just kind of put it all together in this this book, Fourth Down and Dam, a lineman story, uh, and uh, it it was just an, an incredible project and something that I you know when I when I heard his when I heard Leon's story, I just thought I knew that this was just a fantastic story that people are going to want to hear, and um, worked on it. And it was funny because. I know Leon has been, Leon, you've been working on this project for about a decade. Is that about right? I think 10 years from the original beginning of all the writings. And uh, they sort of turned yeah, about it over. About a decade. What was it? Was 2008? 2009? Is that about right? When it started? Uh, about two, yeah, about 2008. Yeah, 2009. 2008, yeah. So, um, it was uh, sometime in, in July that the book was kind of presented to me as an idea, and I kind of took all of Leon's notes, took all of his recordings, and within 11 days, I had the bulk of the book put together. And then, of course, we spent another week uh, putting together some more stories and polishing it up a little bit. But I think within less than three weeks, basically, this book was pretty much ready to go. And uh, so we just launched it back in November. And uh, the audiobook version will be coming pretty soon. We're working on that next. Oh, wow. Nice. Fantastic. So I actually just have a couple more uh, questions uh, from the actual book itself before we go into some other topics here. And I want to ask you, Leon, about your relationship with your parents and especially with your mom. I mean, in the book, you detail this experience. We had your first chance to play organized ball and they tell you you can't do it. And it's one of the most disappointing moments of your life. And your mom actually drives you all the way back to the field and gets you on that field playing football. I mean, talk about how much uh, influence your parents had in your life growing up. Oh, well, my, my mom was my inspiration. My mom was always the one to tell me that, um, you know, uh, you, you don't know if you can do it unless you try. Um, she used to play, she planned to see to me early on when I was little that I could accomplish and do anything I put my mind to. And, you know, my mom was an educator. My mom was a principal. She was a guidance counselor and a school teacher for 47 years. So she was a stickler on education and believing in yourself. Uh, my dad was more of a militant. Uh, you know, my dad grew up in the rural South. Uh, he was he was um, uh, he was a bit of a revolutionary, so to say. Uh, he was a Black Panther, and he was a civil rights activist. I mean, he helped uh, integrate a lot of uh, 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 places in Georgia, uh, in his in Manchester, Georgia, where he grew up. Uh, so he was also someone that that, that inspired me as far as uh, my, my my parents are my heroes. They passed away about three years ago, both in the same year. So they they were they're my heroes, and they they've always told me to. Uh, Whatever you're inspired to do, if you believe it in yourself and uh, you have the right mindset, you can accomplish anything. So, uh, you know, I'm not surprised that I was able to accomplish some of the things that I did because uh, I had great parents to help mold me and make me the person that I am. So, uh, yeah, you know, and, and both of them were feisty. Uh, <laughs> you know, they were, they were real feisty. They, they, they didn't, they didn't, they, there was no, we didn't like a lot of negativity in the house. We tried to keep a very positive environment, even though we weren't living in the best situation. We always knew that we would, we would always do better. And, um, they motivated me. Both of them motivated me. And, uh, to this day, you know, I'm glad that I had both of them in my life. I mean, it was a blessing having both of them as parents because, um, they're, they're my heroes. I love them with everything in my heart. Yeah, the, the book is truly inspiring. So uh, when you guys do read this book, I, I know this will be one of your favorite parts because it was not mine too. I have one last question from the book. This is more of a fun question, I suppose. I got to go back to your first, well, I guess technically your first game as a Steeler when you go into the locker room and find out you're not dressing up that game. Now, 
when you so basically for those who haven't read the book just quite yet you end up going into the stands with your girlfriend at the time and you're eating popcorn so and obviously mm -hmm. a lot of offensive linemen got hurt in that game and uh they kind of uh, insinuating that you, they wanted you to come in and stuff like that so but did your coaches ever find out about the inc this incident i mean obviously in the modern age of social media that'd be on the front page of espn or i should say the live show of espn but uh did your coaches ever find out about that experience um knowing the type of player that i was i didn't care um i didn't care if they, they knew it or not i just knew that, that it was the first it was the first home game in pittsburgh and Pittsburgh was already mad at me. They, uh, the Pittsburgh was notorious at that particular time and not playing, paying their athletes. And me being the first-round pick overall, you know, I held out the last day of training camp. So they were they were trying to do whatever they could to kind of uh, uh, poke at me. They were poking the bear. And at this particular time, the first game of the season in Pittsburgh, I was excited about getting dressed, putting on that uniform, running out on that field. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to play in the game, but I just wanted to wear the, the equipment. And then when when Bill Cowell came up to me and told me that I was inactive, I didn't know what inactive meant. So I had to ask a teammate of mine, I said, what is inactive? I said, they said, well, inactive means that you don't get to wear the uniform and you get to dress, put on your dress clothes on the sideline. And I was like, the hell with that. I said, I'm not going to do that. And uh, what I did is my, my girlfriend at the time, she had the extra ticket that I took and it was in my locker. And I went there, I took my ticket, went through the, the, the turnstile, like the rest of the fans, I went and got me a hot dog, some popcorn, and a soda. And I walked down the steps in front of, next to my girlfriend, and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm here to watch the game. She said, why aren't you on the field? I said, they may be inactive. She said, you're inactive, and you're in the stands? Why? I said, shoot, they don't need me, so I don't, why am I on the sideline? In that particular game, um, about three offensive linemen got hurt, and I remember a teammate of mine named Ariel Solomon looked in the stands and saw me. And the stands and told me to go back and get dressed. And I was like, the hell with that. And I, I ate my popcorn and watched the game. And by the way, we ended up losing the game. And, and I never had to worry about being inactive again. I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, it's it's definitely one of the best stories, too. Uh, so we'll do a little cleanup here. Uh, we're going to end up transitioning outside the book. But uh, before you do, it's on my phone, literally right here. You can't really see it very well. But uh, it's available on Kindle, 4th and Dam. There's also uh, Mike Brodsky is holding up the book himself. I, I'm very much Gen Z. I, I, I got it digitally. Probably should have gotten a physical copy, but uh, very accessible and everything like that. And Mike, how, how can they uh, purchase the book online? I guess whether it's by physical, I'm sure your website. Yeah, the easiest way to do it is just go right to www.leonsearcy.com. L-E-O-N-S-E-A-R-C-Y.com. Uh, that's Leon's website, but right at right on that website, you've got a link to Amazon, and you can buy either the uh, paperback version, or uh, for those who are more tech savvy, like Spencer, of course, you can get the Kindle version. And uh, uh, stay tuned, because uh, obviously we'll we'll soon soon have an audible version once we get a chance to get into the studios, record it, and all of that. But uh, check it out, or just if, if you're an Amazon user, it should be pretty easy. You can just type in either Leon Cersei, you can type in Mike Brodsky, you can type in Fourth Down and Dam, and it should take you right to the uh, right to the book on Amazon. Awesome, yeah. So I got mine through Amazon. That's the quickest way for me. So I recommend that for you, for you guys who like to read digitally. But uh, one more thing before we move on with the interview, this show is obviously sponsored by Christian Riffle with Simply Vegas. You can go to www.vegasrelocate.com. Uh, and her license number is S0177577. Uh, and you can also give her a call at 702-497-0730. And uh, Mel, yep, we're going to go ahead and transition into a little more just kind of general football talk. 
Well, I mean, I think right now we're all into, uh, with both of you guys, um, Leon working in Jacksonville on the radio there, as well as Mike, you having covered the Jacksonville Jaguars this season. Hot topic right now, a new head coach, Urban Meyer, Coach Urban Meyer. Um, your thoughts on this hiring for coach, as well as, I know for you, Leon, you've played under some coaches that have either moved on to the NFL after playing in the, in the collegiate level or coaching at collegiate level, as well as um, co playing for head coaches in the NFL that were formerly uh, college coaches. How do you think that jump is and how do you feel, you know, it'll work for Urban Meyer and any advice for him possibly? Okay. Well, I, I think the Urban Meyer hire looks good on paper right now. I mean, although he's the figurehead of the organization, I think that for the most part, it's, it's, it's going to be prevalent on, on what kind of assistant coaches that he brings in. That's going. That's what I'm looking at because 90% of the time, the athletes on the team are going to be dealing with the assistant coaches. And I like Urban Meyer because, he, first of all, he's a proven champion. He's a three-time national championship coach. And I want somebody that's going to come here to make the players uncomfortable because I'm in my assessment over the last – decade or so the Jaguars have had a coaching staff uh it's been a country club environment over there for the most part and believe it or not athletes want discipline you know they want structure they want order and they want to have fun and the only way you can have fun in this league is if you win football games and that's what the bottom line this is a bottom line business it's all about W's all right we've we've had a significant amount of L's over the last decade and I just want to see this I this fan base is this fan base is loyal I mean, they've stuck through the Jaguars over the last 20 years, and they've only had three winning seasons. Uh, and um, I, so I, I like Urban Myers the hire. Uh, it's a splash. Uh, it's given us national attention that we – listen, I've heard the word Jacksonville Jaguars on the news uh, stream more than I've ever heard them since I've been here over the last three years. <laughs> so, you know, when you've got the first pick overall in Urban Myers, you're going to get a yeah. lot of attention. So and I don't think if, if, Urban, if we don't have the first pick in the draft, I don't think Urban Meyer comes here. I mean, I think that wherever he's gone, he's had a prominent quarterback. I mean, when he was at Utah, he had Alex Smith. When he was at Florida, he had Tebow. And was Ohio State, he had – I can't remember his name, but he had, a, he had a quality quarterback. So I don't think he comes here unless he has the first pick overall. So, I mean, the fan base is, is, is buzzing. They're excited. Uh, shoot, just two days ago, we found out that half the season tickets have already been sold already wow. in Jacksonville once they named Urban Meyer as the, as the head coach. So – I'm just going to be very interested to see what he does in free agency, what he does in the draft, and how he uh, conducts the uh, training camps, mini camps, and OTAs. Because um, I, I really want somebody that could come and shake the tree, uh, and um, and get rid of some of the guys who are not on board. Uh, what what he what he what he's going to have going on um, of this upcoming season. I just have one question about Urban to just kind of wrap up the discussion on him uh, in a sense is, well, we've seen a different results from college coaches going to the NFL. But the one thing I worry about with Urban Myers, I guess, is he did have Tim Tebow coming up. Now, Alex Smith is a great NFL quarterback, but we see the Terrell Priors and stuff like that go through Ohio State. So we've seen a lot of quarterbacks that just have not been successful. And that may come from, because it was in a college system, especially when it comes to Tim Tebow. Does it worry you at all when he comes to Jacksonville that maybe he's going to be a little more like Chip Kelly than he does Pete Carroll when it comes to the offense that he's going to be running? Well, I mean, um, not really, because uh, I, I think that uh, – uh, whatever offensive coordinator he comes, brings in here, um, you, you've got to build an offensive system that's comparable to uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, you can't make him fit in your system. You've got to build a system around him where he's comfortable and he's going to have success at. 
I mean, I know Trev, I know that Urban Meyer, when he was coaching, he was a big guy on RPOs, you know, run pass option, all that kind of stuff, uh, a little spread here and there. Uh, but uh, whatever Trevor Lawrence is comfortable with, whoever they're bringing as a coordinator and a quarterback's coach, I mean, you've got to build a system around him to make sure he succeeds. You, you can't try to make him fit into your system. You've got to build a system that's comparable to his uh, strong points. And I think that uh, uh, I think Urban Meyer understands that, you know, knowing that he's going to have Trevor Lawrence, hopefully for the next decade or so. Great. So, Leon, I couldn't have you on the show without – I'm a Husky. I'm a Husky alumna. I was raised in Seattle. I was always going to be a Husky ever since I was young, predominantly after those late 80s, early 90s runs of our Huskies. It wouldn't be right for me to have you on the show if we didn't discuss the season of the 1991 college football. This is prior to the current college football playoff scheme and championships. Um, the Huskies and your alumni at University of Miami, where you are part of the Hall of Fame. Uh, congratulations from 2003. What's, what's I'm, obviously your take would be Miami, but what do you think it is differently now as to having these rivalries? I mean, we split what they called uh, the championship in 1991, the Huskies and the, and the, um, the Hurricanes, both going 12 and 0, both having great seasons. Um, both dominating in the bowl games. What do you feel on your stance as far as what's your take for who really would have been the number one uh, championship for that year? Um, I don't think y'all would have stood a chance against us, to be quite honest with you. Okay. I think it would have been. I think it would have been a blowout. No, I'm messing with you. It would. <laughs> That's it what you think. Good. I'm just saying. You know, it we both we a, we had both had hard schedules. You guys probably had a harder schedule, but we we dominated our games the entire season. Like they were. Listen, a good friend of mine, Mark Brunell, I believe, was on that team. In the quarterback, when yeah. Y'all won when y'all won the national championship, and I give Mark Brunell a hard time all the time because he has he has his championship ring, and I have my championship ring. And you know what? I wish we had a college playoff back then. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we didn't have a college playoff in, in, in a couple of occurrences cost us national championships. To be quite honest with you. In 1988, I mean, we played Notre Dame and we lost to them by one by one point. Catholics versus convicts, and if there was a playoff system in play, we would have played Notre Dame again, and would have been it been a classic game. And and listen, y'all had y'all had a stellar defense, y'all had a prominent offense, so did we. So I mean, it's almost a shame that those two teams that were undefeated at that particular time had to be co-national championships because uh, it would have been a, it would have been an outstanding game. And I remember the defensive tackle I would have went up against in that game. His name was Steve Edmond. Yeah. Steve Edmond was the defensive tackle, defensive end that I would have played. Um, so, uh, I, I, listen, I've always been a competitor. I've always competed. I love competing. I would have loved the opportunity to play, have an outright national champion. Because sharing the ring. <laughs> it's not the know, same, right? Not the yeah, same. It's not, not the same. same. It's yeah, not yeah. the same. Well, I mean, I know that you guys had a lot of people um, that came out of that season going into the league. I know the Huskies had a numerous draftees that went into the draft right after that season as well. I mean, that was just a – and do you think that maybe something like those kind of circumstances are what brought the college football to have this current playoff schedule that they do now? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But um, the only only unfortunate thing about college football now, uh, from my, my standpoint, is that there's no parity. In college football, I mean, you've got you've got the same teams year in year out competing for the championship, and you know, everybody yeah. else. It's like a it's like a you know it, it's a situation where if it's not Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, or Oklahoma, you have absolutely no shot to win a national championship because most majority of the time, 
those uh, those programs are going to be ranked in the top five, top six when the polls come out, and everybody else is going to be left in the dust. I mean, if you look at the national champions that won over the last decade or so, it's been the same guys. It's been the Clemsons. It's been the Alabamas. Maybe throw, LS, throw LSU in there a little bit here and there, but uh, I can't complain. And we was talking about this on the air about two weeks ago. Because when I was playing, it was only really five teams that had a legitimate chance to win a championship. It was us, it was Penn State, it was Notre Dame, it was Oklahoma and Nebraska. All right, now in 1990, I mean, Clemson, I mean, in 1990, Georgia Tech and Colorado split. And then in 1991, you know, Miami and Washington split. But it's always been that way. You're going to have the six or seven teams, the elite teams are always going to have a shot to win the championship. You know, everybody else is left in the dust. And that's the reason why I think they should extend the playoffs to at least six to eight teams to give them a legitimate opportunity to to compete for a national championship. Yeah. uh, So when we talk about college football, actually, I want to get your opinion on this, being that you were part of one of the all-time great college football teams. Mac Jones had come out after their national championship saying that they were the greatest college football team of all time. So are you buying into he's, this narrative that they're the greatest he, or, or no? He's delusional. <laughs> he's delusional if he thinks that he, they're the greatest college football team of all time. Hey, there has to be this, this one particular team in 2001, uh, Miami Hurricanes, that in three years span had 17 first-round picks, 33 draft picks. And they, they beat their opponents by an average of uh, 28.2 points per game. Uh, that was the University of Miami, too. The 2001 University of Miami football team, in my opinion, and just, I, of course, I'm biased, it might be the greatest college football uh, team ever. And trust me, when we have our reunion, because this year, this year, 2021, will be the 20th anniversary of the 2001-2001 championship team, and then it'll be the 30-year anniversary of the 1991 championship team of Miami. So when we all get together, we're going to have we're going to battle it out and pretty much say who was better. But in my opinion, the 2001 uh, Miami Hurricanes is probably the greatest college football program ever, team ever. Now, when you guys get together for these type of events, when you're all gathered together, the 20 and 30 year you know reunions, does anyone ever leave winning with that argument? I'm just curious because it seems like you get all these guys with their egos, their teams, you know who they beat, what they won. Is anyone ever winning that argument? Uh, no. And I, and, I, and I tell the guys, just because you say it loud, don't make it right. Uh, you know, because guys get to shouting and getting all excited about it. But you don't have to worry about you. Listen, the only guys you have to worry about, the guys who didn't play, they, used to, they, they try to tell you how great they were. And I was like, mm, I don't remember you being that good, but okay. Right. That's funny. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, let's move on a little bit from college days. I'm sorry I had to get it in there. You know, it's one of those things that still are, you know, that was like one of our best shots at the the national championship. We did make it on the last decade to face Alabama, unfortunately. (laughs) But um, I had to throw that in there. Moving into like your NFL career, you had 11 years, um, predominantly with the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, is there any kind of situations or any stories that come to mind as far as some of your best experiences having played in the NFL? Well, one of my best experiences when I was a Pittsburgh Steeler is that um, uh, I used to, there, there was a strip of road that I used to drive down. And this, at this particular time, I had a, 
I think this is in the book. I I, I bought a yep. convertible Jaguar in Pittsburgh. Um, <laughs> big mistake, by the way. Uh, and I, what I used to do is I used to drive down the strip right in front of the stadium where all the fans were on the right and the left. And I used to drop my top so they could see who I was. And the fans would run to your car with the terrible towels and high five you and everything. That used to get me geeked up. I used to get jacked up before the games because I used to go down this particular road where they tailgated and everything. You could smell the brats and the beer flowing and the terrible towels going on. So I I, I made it an issue to drive down this particular street to go through the fans to make sure they, they saw who I was. And it got me energized right before the game. As far as Jacksonville, Jacksonville was the same way. Um, I was just fortunate enough to uh, where, I, where I played, uh, it was more of a college atmosphere. I was so used to playing uh, at, the, at the Orange Bowl in Miami and the fans would be engaged with the players and the game and everything like that. And Pittsburgh was the same way. And Jacksonville, although they were relatively a new franchise, um, they were a college town because, you know, you've got, you know, south of them is Gainesville, you know, to the west of them is Tallahassee and up north mm-hmm. is Georgia. Uh, so most of those fans all used to come to the game. So, I, you know, I was blessed to play in um, uh, particular cities where there was a lot of uh, uh, energy and um, a lot of fanfare. And it made my game easier when you knew the, the team was rooting for you. Wow. So out of you got three national championships with the University of Miami, you have a Super Bowl um, that you played in with the Steelers. Is there which one of those games that you by far are most were most excited about or you enjoyed the most or that, you know, whenever says, hey, what's your favorite memory of playing and, and coming up in the league? Is there something in particular that um, out of that those experiences that you treasure the most? Well, I, I think I treasured, the, uh, you know, although I had, a, you know, a great career uh, professionally, uh, your heart is always dear to your college football program. Uh, you know, I, when people ask me, Leon, what team did you play for? I say I'm a Miami Hurricane. I don't say I'm a Steeler or a Jaguar. I'm a Kane. And I think the, the one particular game um, that kind of moved me the most was actually the national championship game in 1991 when we played in Nebraska and we beat them 22 to nothing. And I remember after the game, uh, I was in my uniform and all the, you know, all the fans are screaming and yelling. And I started crying. I started crying because I realized that I was never, ever going to be able to put on this uniform again. I mean, I actually, I loved being a Miami Hurricane. I, 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 I bled orange and green. And I remember being on the, I remember being on the middle of the field and uh, uh, hugging Mario Cristobal and started crying because I realized that I was never, ever going to be, a, I was never, ever going to play and be a Miami Hurricane ever again. Now, and, and you know what, the, the, winning the championship wasn't as fulfilling as the journey. You know, when, I, when we won the championship, I was like, is this it? Really? I mean, because the journey getting there was a lot more special than the actual win. So, uh, yeah, that, that was the game that was more emotional for me, that championship game, standing in the middle of the field, looking up at the Orange Bowl, realizing that my time in Miami was over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I have one question, actually, just kind of to encompass everything that you talk about in the book and just everything you went through in your life to get to, uh, you know, what got you drafted and stuff like that. 
what would advice would you give to young NFL players? Like I would say rookies this year, next year, and maybe last year, what would you tell them uh, to help them with their NFL experience? Maybe not something technical, but something, you know, like emotional support that you would tell them or advice you would give them to be successful for a long time in the NFL. Uh, learn how to say no. <laughs> really, really. I mean, uh, learn how to say no. Because you don't owe anybody anything. You, you this, this was your journey. I mean, yeah, there might have been people that helped you along the way, but you don't owe anybody anything. I mean, where were they when you got up six o'clock in the morning? Where were you? Where they? Where were they when you got hurt? Uh, when you were bleeding, your back was hurting, your, your your neck was sore. You don't owe anybody anything. This was your journey, and it's special to you. And that, that's one thing that I I didn't I didn't get that when I was playing. I mean, I felt that. When I was playing, I owed people stuff. I owed the family this. I owed friend this. And you don't owe a, you don't owe a damn thing. Learn how to say no when it comes to business decisions, when it comes to your money, when it comes to your relationship. Make sure your circle, make sure the people around you in your circle, if they're not a positive influence on you, get rid of them. All right? Get rid of them. Uh, I would just, I would tell them that. Just, just, just learn how to be self-sufficient and trust your instinct. And you learn how to tell people no, from your agent to your financial guy, to your friends, your family, all that kind of stuff. Because when it's all over, um, they're either going to talk about you if you spend up all your money, or they're going to abandon you. So you got to make sure that you have the right people in your circle when you're going through this, whatever. But so I would tell them to learn how to say no, if nothing else. That's great. That's great tips. And do you think, and it's great just to circle back on the book again, because there aren't a lot of stories, like I mentioned before, that are transparent like this. Do you feel that, you know, that these kind of stories of don't go down this road because here's how it happened to me aren't being told enough within to the guys in the league these days to where a lot of them are still going to face the same um, failure almost at some point. You would, you think it does happen. We hear stories about it. These guys that, you know, are, unable to get back into the game or unable to compete or are struggling with other um, concerns outside of the actual field. Do you think that there needs to be more people that can step forward with their story and being able to help these younger generation kind of understand what it's really like? Well, the, unfortunately, um, a lot of these professional athletes don't think it's going to happen to them. Uh, you got to understand the mentality of a lot of professional athletes when they go on the field. If, if you got to have a sense of invincibility, you got to think you're bulletproof. You got to think you're not going to hurt. You're not going. All those kind of things factor in your mindset. And then, unfortunately, a lot of these guys once their career is over, they have to deal with the backlashes of not making the right choices in life. So, as much as I this book, I hope this book inspires people. But unfortunately, 80% of the guys that leave the league go bankrupt for a reason. And the reason is, is because, first of all, they're not told the truth about finances. Uh, and secondly, they don't have the right people around them. Um, so it's a little discouraging for me as much as I, the effort that me and Mike put into the book and we try to get guys the book in hand, a lot of these athletes don't think it's going to happen to them. And, and that's where the telltale of the, of the story lies with a lot of former athletes. Gotcha. So Mike and Leon, I guess this will be my final question about the book. Is there anything that you guys might have disagreed on as to what should or should not be in the book? Is there a story that maybe was 
not, you know, appropriate or maybe something that should that maybe you were arguing for to have and maybe Mike was having not to have. Is there anything, Mike, that you guys made a bang heads about a little bit in regards to what should be on? Um, I don't think we really banged heads, but there were a couple of stories that uh, ultimately, even though they were, I thought they were great stories, we can't put them out there. There's no way. So, um, you know, if you, if you buy Leon a cognac and a cigar, maybe he'll tell you <laughs> offline sometime. But we just couldn't we couldn't put it out there for various reasons. Um, and then there were other some other stories. There were so many great stories. I mean, it would have been impossible to put all of them in there. So what we actually ended up doing uh, was Leon, just in the past couple of months, he's gone back and kind of recorded little short video versions of some of those stories that didn't make the book. And we actually put some of them up on social media. So look for us on social media, uh, either me uh, or Leon. And uh, you should be able to find some of these other stories that, again, if you just want to get a taste of uh, some of those those other great stories, you know, check it out because a lot of them are actually online. Um, you can find them on our social media platforms. And uh, then also check out the book to see the, the final cut, uh, the final version of the book we put together. I mean, was there you that you we should have done that we should have put in there? No, I mean, most of those stories that, you know, that aren't in the book. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm gonna tell those stories when we do the audio. When I do the monologues, right? You'll, yeah. you'll get all those stories that uh, didn't make the cut for the book. So, so uh, yeah, uh, I'll be uncut and uncensored when we do the audio book. Well, I'll be there to sit back and sip some tea then, because <laughs> I love some juicy details um, in regards to uh, everyone. You know, that's a football fan or sports fan. You always like to. Unfortunately, we always like to hear about those stories that maybe not everybody should be knowing about or uh, are caring about. But it makes things interesting, right? So, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, yeah. All right. So before we go, we've really enjoyed having both of you on. I know that because of this episode, I'm sure that we're going to get some questions in regards to where they can find you guys on social media and just in regards to, um, is there a, do, what do you guys have set up as far as for the book and how can people find you guys on social media? Sure. Uh, for me, you can look for me on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Mike Brodsky FL. We'll take you to my personal page. Uh, Instagram, my handle is actually on the screen right now, the at Mike underscore Brodsky on Instagram. Uh, Twitter, uh, Mike Brodsky FL, and those who are on uh, Clubhouse can find me at Mike Brodsky. Uh, Leon, uh, uh, certainly go to www.leoncersey.com, and I think you'll find all the links for Leon's social media. But Leon, do you want to throw any of the, your social media handles out there if, if you want to throw, throw those in? Yeah, you can go the uh, you can go to Facebook and find me uh, Leon Cersey Jr. on Facebook. Uh, you can go to Twitter and find me uh, Cersey underscore Leon. And then you can find me on Instagram, L. Cersei, L. Cersei Jr. on Instagram. That's great. Right. And then great. for the book, uh, also, uh, on Facebook, Fourth Down and Dam, uh, we'll also get you to the Facebook, uh, Fourth Down and Dam page as well. Great. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure you just mentioned it too, uh, but you can get on Amazon, uh, on Kindle, on the Kindle app. I have it on my phone. That's how I got it. Or you can just go on your laptop. You can also get Kindle on your laptop, uh, whatever's easiest. I've actually switched between all of them during the day. I'm on my laptop at night. I'll use my, uh, I'll maybe use my iPad or my phone. So wherever you want to watch, uh, listen, uh, I should not say listen, I should uh, read it. You can do so. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, thank you so much for joining us, guys. It was a great—it's uh, a great read, and it was really good to hear some insight on the book and your guys' opinion on football. Thank you. We appreciate, I appreciate the opportunity. You.
I did have one last question because, you know, we are here in Vegas, uh, in Las Vegas, Nevada. We are a gambling city. So if we had to get out there and put some money down on the Super Bowl winner, I wanted to get both of you guys' um, who you believe will be the Super Bowl winner this year. Uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll go first here. Uh, you know, the AFC is going to be really interesting. I mean, with Pat Mahomes kind of going through concussion protocol, it's going to be interesting to see if he's going to be okay and ready to play this coming weekend. If he's able to play, I think you'll probably see the Chiefs make it. And then in the NFC, it's going to be tight. But you figure Tom Brady, he's just he's been there so often, it don't, almost seems like uh, it would just be a fitting end, end to have him you know, back in the Super Bowl with the Bucs, playing in Tampa Bay at home. That would be kind of exciting. So hopefully that'll happen. Uh, who will win the whole thing? Um well, if Pat Mahomes is healthy, I would, I, I got to go with the Chiefs. But uh, again, all of that's off the table if Mahomes doesn't play this weekend. Okay. Well, thank you. I know we took some time. We appreciate Leon being here. We appreciate you being here again. Today's show was brought to you by Kristen Riffle of Simply Las Vegas. Um, you can contact Kristen at www.vegasrelocate.com or by phone 702-497-0703. Um, Leon jumped in one oh, quick man. second. We just want, <laughs> we just want well, if you that. want to give us your pick, because I didn't know if you were trying to dodge that question or not. No, no, no. I'm picking, I'm picking Buffalo to win it all. Okay. Hey, they've been all having right. a great season. So I, Hey, I'm not mad at them. I'd actually probably enjoy that over having some of these old heads that keep on winning, <laughs> continue to win. <laughs> but anyways again you guys we thank you please if you're watching the show make sure to share it go out there look for the book fourth down and damn um i can't wait to, to read it now it sounds like there's some some good stuff in there so make sure you check it out and again thank you guys hopefully we'll uh have some further conversations in the future definitely thanks man. Right, appreciate it thank you appreciate thank you, you. Thank bye bye bye, -bye.